Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tan, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and it has been a minute. Uh, thank you to everybody who tunes in and subscribes to these podcasts. Really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to start ramping back up as we head towards 2024. And it's it's scary to say that. Uh, it just feels like 2023 just ended. Um, I think everybody that's on tour with these series are kind of recovering a bit. You know, you, you go through these transitional phases of really burnout to kind of in a sweet spot, which I, I think where a lot of people are right now. And then you start getting a little bit antsy, uh, start getting ready for the year again. And, and that kind of starts for me today. Uh, I fly to Florida, to Sarasota for the uh, Feld Annual Summit, which is kind of just a get together of the entire uh, Supercross and Pro Motocross team, which is now, as you know, SMX. So everybody that's involved there really uh, will be there this week and meetings and planning and a review. So it's kind of ringing the bell that, hey, 2024 is right around the corner. We got we, we need to start getting ready. So that's it's kind of the impetus for me thinking that way. You know, we, we've been in this lull where everybody was just kind of licking their wounds a little bit and uh, trying to have a life with some sort of normalcy, being home on the weekends and maybe going on vacations. You see a lot of the riders out, you know, in Hawaii or wherever they may feel appropriate to spend their off time. Uh, but that's, that's, that's what this time of year is. Uh, the riders are going to begin their boot camps right around now. If they already haven't, uh, it's that time where everybody kind of, everything kind of kicks off. It's really that two months out time frame where it, it's go time. And we'll touch on that a little bit. But before we do, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires. They're still celebrating a great 2023. I also launched that uh, Diablo Super Corsa SPV4 street tire. If you're into street bikes, there was a MotoGP race today in Malaysia. Got to watch that. So check that tire out. Guts Racing, seat covers for everything to do with power sports and e-bikes. Complete seats for betas. They launched the Kawasaki seat earlier this year, the Saran, that are so popular now. They have... Seats, seat covers, and graphics for literally anything you can think of. So check out Guts Racing. Great company and great group of people. Maybe even more importantly, the people behind it are, are fantastic. Plum Creek Funding. Now listen, I know housing is tough. Uh, rates are the highest they've been in you know 15 years or, or longer. I think actually over 20 years now. Anytime you get up to that eight or higher, uh, people start pressing the panic button because, yeah, the buying slows down and people just can't afford Anything, and that's that's the problem, not to get too deep into it, but housing prices haven't come down to reflect what affordability looks like at current rates. And that is, that's a really difficult thing. And at one, at, at some point, those two things have to square up 
because there just won't be any home buying or purchasing because the affordability is not there anymore. So something to watch for, but there are a lot of people that have to buy houses. They have to move. They don't have a choice. There's been a lot of companies recalling workers back to the office. And when you have to do something like that, you want to have the best advice possible. So reach out to Plum Creek Funding, ask for Zach Morris, and he can at least give you the best ideas or the best ways to mitigate some of the rising rate increases. Uh, Concept Coatings Design Co. This is a newer newer company, right? And, and they're based part of their business is based in Australia, but they are ramping up and tooling up in Southern California, which is going to be much more relevant for most of the listeners of this podcast. They're going to be in like the Murrieta Temecula area, and he's actually building out the race shop right now. And what they do, they do two different things. They do Cerakote, anodizing, laser engraving, all sorts of things like that for like bicycle frames, uh, engine parts, you know, anything that you can kind of relate to that type of thing. They are the best in the business at it. You can go on their Instagram, check out all of the great uh, products, and, and it's really impressive uh, the processes that they have there. But they're also building out a full race shop and they're they're hiring new mechanics right now. So if you are a mechanic and you're looking for an opportunity or you just want to change, reach out to them as well. I can put you in contact with them. Please reach out to me, but that you can just go on their Instagram and DM them as well. It's uh, Concept Coatings Design Co. on Instagram. But for privateer guys, they're building out this full race shop and you can take your, you know, move your whole program to Southern California, have a shop to work out of, your mechanic can work you know, rebuild the practice bikes every day. You have a home base that you can fully work out of for the whole California stretch, right? Because that's what a lot of people do. They go to California, whether it's in November or December, some people go right after Christmas and then they spend the next six weeks in California as that West coast swing drags on. And then, yeah, maybe they move back to Florida, you know, as the weather shifts, they can move their program back to where they're from. But for a lot of people, especially if you live in the Midwest, Northeast, or even any part of the Northern part of the country, you're in a frozen wasteland in the winter. So you got to get out of there and have tracks to ride on and a place to work from. This is a great opportunity to do that. So check them out. Works Connection. We've been talking about the Yamaha foot peg mounts for that, uh, the new Yamahas and uh, the chain gauge. That is a really cool new tool. Uh, don't forget about the Pro Launch Start device. That's why all these guys hold shot all the time. It is the easiest to assemble and the most functional of any starting device in the game. Pro Glow Wash, great product, great company. Uh, why would you use anything less than a wash that is formulated for power sports? It doesn't make any sense to use something like Simple Green or these other things. They don't have anything to do with our sport. They were, our sport was never even considered when they were designing this product. Pro Glow Wash was. International Vet MX Series, their series is over for the year, but Look out in 2024, they will be back. Great events, multi-day events, lots of, uh, yeah, just good times together, like-minded people. You know, it's not really the rat race of amateur racing. It's more of uh, vet riders that want a lot of track time and a relaxed weekend. That's what their series is all about. TL Speed Shop, they're getting ready for Baja right now. I was hoping to get down there, but I have to go to Feld today. Uh, so that kind of ruined that plan as they're about to take off for the Baja 1000, which starts, uh, I think tomorrow uh something like that so they are in the midst of busy season and good luck to all of the tl speed shop team uh, as they have multiple trucks and multiple um entities going on and participating in that race grant stone boots wore mine last night great product great team and i've been there from the very very beginning and it's it's been a joy to watch that company grow and watch just the product line really get built out and they are about to launch their new women's boots 
which should be really fun too, because I've been asked about a million times if that was something they were ever going to do. Well, guess what? They're on the way. Last but not least, Fly Racing. Thank you to everybody for being involved with this podcast. Thank you to listening through those commercials. And now we'll get to something that I'm sure you're wanting to hear. Like I, I get it. Commercial. I listen to podcasts all day and commercials are a part of it, but it's not why you're tuning in. I understand that. Everybody understands that. But what do we want to talk about? I want to talk about what happened in Abu Dhabi uh, one week ago now. And I apologize for not getting to this sooner. It's just a really big, busy week for me. But think about where they were racing, what a big step as far as like expanding this series. Now you can, you can say whatever you want about the series. Like I get it. There's a lot of uncertainty and I've been a critic of it because I looked at their business model before and I was just like, there's no way this, this doesn't pencil out. It will never pencil out like the way that this is being done. And I think that was realized. That's why you saw the change in ownership. That's why you've seen a bunch of changes as far as where they're holding races, how they're going about it. Um, because I, it was out of necessity. Like you can't just go crazy on spending. Like, you know, like there was just money flying in every direction with no real plan, in my opinion, of how to recoup any of that. And, and that's great. If you have someone as an owner that their only goal is to spend money and they do not care about any sort of return, have at it. I don't believe that's what this was. And when you realize that and you look at the numbers and nothing makes sense and it's just this endless money pit, there's got to be some change. And that's what brought all of that on. And I think you're going to continue to see that change and what that will look like. How you'll notice that is you're only going to see this series, in my opinion, happen in countries where the government is willing to fund it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is a limiting factor. You know, when you look at the way that Monster Energy Supercross runs, it is a profitable enterprise. They're going to uh, markets that will support these series and make it profitable. The fans show up, you know, there's uh, participation from every aspect of it, sponsors, butts and seats, all those things that make it work. And it's also been built out where the costs aren't extravagant, where, you know, and you can always argue that the riders need to make more money, although I don't think that argument really holds water anymore because of this new SMX series and the points and all that. Like, I, I think that really went a long way to negate any of that, that talk. And, and I lived through it. I raced, I was always hoping to make more money racing, but this was, you know, the SMX championship and the points fund was the answer to that. And I think as long as that sticks around, it's going to just squash any complaints as far as that stuff goes. But as for world supercross, I think they're, they've kind of set the the bar here as far as where they're going to be able to go. Like Abu Dhabi, absolutely government-funded event. They go to Australia, government-funded event. And, and when you see these races happen in the future, I believe that's going to be the norm. You know, they're talking to, they're talking about having a round in South Africa next year, which would be the same thing. I think there's a chance that they would go to Saudi Arabia because of the same thing. The Saudis are on a spending spree trying to make Saudi a much more tourist friendly area, right? Because they're building out this plan. They call it like the 2030 plan. There's a term for it, but they want to change the narrative about how the world views Saudi Arabia. Now they have their own issues there, right? They have human rights violations and oppression of women and all, all these things that don't, I don't have anything to do with any of that stuff, but that is the, the narrative. And that if, if somebody's looking to take a shot at Saudi, 
that's where they immediately go. And it's not for me to decide whether it's right or wrong. Uh, but I think that's, that's where this series will be able to survive is in those markets where they can go to the tourism agency or whoever and say, Hey, we have a chance to bring this series, this sport, raise awareness, create a really cool app, you know, event for your citizens, all these things like those are that happens all the time. These, these sports are subsidized to bring events to them because they're trying to keep propelling their country forward and, and bring new people to their, their markets and their cities. So those are the, it's, I don't know if it's a sad thing to say, um, but it, it is what it is, right? It's reality. And that's to me, when you look at the money involved in this series and the lack of sponsorship, you know, outside corporate sponsorship and the lack of, of seats sold. You, I mean, if you're going to pay out, you have to sell out every time, like to even think about, this being a profitable enterprise and they're nowhere near that. Like they're not even getting close. Right. So from the outside, if they're just trying to run on their own merit, they're going to lose money hand over fist. So this is the only way if it is to make it long-term, this is the only way. And maybe that changes one day, but I, I don't think so under the current structure, the way that the teams are paid and the purse and all like, I don't, I don't think that's possible. You just look at the purse itself. Like, it's really high. Um, I mean, the top five in purse, it's 40 grand, 30 grand, 20 grand, 15, 10. You know, um, I think it's 250,000 a race that they pay out in purse. That's, that's a really big chunk of change is overhead. Uh, then you think about they're paying Ken Roxon. I think he got 2 million this year, something like that. I, I think it was per race, but it, it fleshed out to those numbers, but, what I was told, and this is scuttlebutt, so don't hold me to this if I'm wrong. I apologize, but I heard he signed a three-year deal for six million, and it was one million, two million, three million over the course of three years. Now that could be wrong, hundred percent understand, but that was the rumor. That was what I heard from people who would know that was a contract he signed. Now I don't know the breakout of that, and that's the point I'm trying to make: is it could be subject to if race races get canceled as they did this year, like, uh, what got canceled? Um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Sing Singapore and France both got canceled this year. So that could have maybe really hurt his income. I, I don't know. Right. I made, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of clauses in there. Uh, but I, I know his agent really well, Steve Astman and Steve would protect him against that. So maybe he got a portion of that payout by, you know, walking in and, and being the poster boy for that series. I have a hard time thinking that he, they would just be able to get out of it scot-free without paying him something for promoting uh, the series, you know, because let's say, for example, let's say he signs this deal for 2 million for the, for annual and the next year's 3 million. Well, you know, they're planning on doing six races. So he, he turns down other races, right? Like what if he was asked to do Paris Bercy? What if he was asked to do other races? And he said, no, I've committed to World Supercross, so don't factor me in. Don't build budget for me. Don't do anything. And then World Supercross cuts their number of races. And then Kenny could have raced Paris-Bercy or something like that, and he loses out on that money. So that's why you would want to protect yourself or your agent would want to protect you because of the downside risk of those races being canceled. You just want, wouldn't want to just be stuck, right? You're expecting to get $2 million this year. 
and the way it's built out over six races, say it was like 300 and some thousand a race. Now you're down to making 600 K or let's say 900 K because there's only three races versus the six that were originally promised. You would want to have some sort of downside protection. So maybe he ends up getting 1.2 instead of 2 million and he doesn't have to go to those other races anyway. You know, that, that would be a way to kind of offset. And I'm totally spitballing uh, That's all speculation. Uh, but those are the kind of things that happen behind the scenes. And this is a very unique thing where there's races a schedule, then they decide not to go. And this guy's got deals locked in for, you know, set amounts of money. It's a, it's a very unique set of circumstances. So I'm just hypothesizing it, how, how that stuff could go. Uh, but definitely watch for, I think the oil rich countries to be the driving force behind this series because they have the money to spend. And when you need money at all costs, that is a solution. That's a way out for a series like this. So yeah, Bahrain, uh, Qatar, I mean, they would say Qatar, um, Abu Dhabi, Riyadh, you know, those are all places that I think you could see this series end up going. And, and is that ideal? No, it's not. But they have money. The series wants to grow. They need to survive and, you know, opportunity meeting a solution. So, um, yeah, just keep an eye on that anyway. As for the track and the race in, in Abu Dhabi, it felt very much to me like the U.S. Open. You know, if you're if you've been to the U.S. Open in the past, I've raced it several times. It, it looked similar. It felt similar. The track had a little chicane outside, which was almost identical, like a straight line out and then a one turn and then a little chicane to the right and then back in. Like that's idea, identical to how the MGM Grand Garden Arena was as far as the track. So it, it looked and felt very similar to that. Even the track, like the dirt was similar. Um, the whoops coming in, like it was just, it had a lot of similarities because um, the, the whoops are always on the side and like either exiting or coming into the stadium. In this case, it was exiting, but it was, uh, yeah, eerily reminiscent of that. And you saw a lot of tight racing, which we'll get into because of that. Now for this stage to be the world supercross series, it's hard to argue that it didn't feel a little underwhelming, right? It, it, I don't think that's out of line to say. This is supposed, you know, it was built and marketed and projected as this sport changing, altering, end all be all of Supercross. Like World Supercross, we're taking it to the masses. We're going to do it a way it's never been done. You know, I, I get it. That's marketing. But this, it's hard to say that that was this, right? They had one uh, skid steer, like they had no equipment. The track, the jumps were tiny. Um, I don't know. It was just very unimpressive to me. And I, I'm not trying to poo-poo on the series. I, I don't care. I'm past all that. I think, you know, that that conversation's already long since been decided as far as was this going to be the preeminent series. That's that's a hard no. We all know that by now. I'm just being realistic on what the track was. And it just wasn't, uh, even, even if you're pessimistic, I don't think it lived up to that. You look at the rider comments and complaints and... You know, I just think it was, man, just a salvage job all the way across. And that's a bummer. Um, I think it could have been a lot better than this. Um, but, and I'm sure they're learning too. Like it's, it's a new series. It's new dynamics, new events, new venues, right? So there is a lot of learning that's going to go on. And I don't think that like SMX is immune to that. There were things about Charlotte I didn't love. 
you know, and that's, that's a part of it. When you go to a new venue, you're going to learn. And I think if we go back there, we go, you know, every, every time it's a learning experience and you adapt and you implement better ideas and they'll be more prepared. I'm sure they'll go back there next year because it seemed like it worked by and large. And if the money's there, they'll go back and they'll be more prepared next year. They'll just have it figured out. They'll know where they were lacking and they'll make sure that they're not next year. That's just, you know, that's how it goes with anything. I'm sure all of you listening have dealt with that in your own life. You experience something, you enter a new dynamic and it doesn't go well. Okay. Then you assess and you, and you know, change the way you go about it. Make sure it doesn't go as poorly next time. And, and this will be no different. Um, but yeah, the, as far as the racing, it's enough about the track. As far as the racing, I mean, Sabachi wins. Like this was one of the most chaotic races I think anyone's ever seen. And <laughs> we know why, right? Vince Freezy was the catalyst for all the chaos. Not that it's, I want to say not that it's his fault. It is his fault. It is his fault. And I'm going to talk about Vince more in depth later. Uh, but Savachi won and he just kind of, he kind of hung out at the front, right? Like he, it wasn't some dominant Joey Savachi wins headline event. That, that was not it at all. It was almost like he won through attrition and that's okay. Like that's how it goes sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you just, you know, I always say when you continue to put yourself in plus situations, when I mean plus is like ahead of the game, good starts, good pace, don't crash. Don't get caught up in the mess. Don't allow yourself to get taken out. Those are plus situations. You continue to do that and success will follow. That That's true in any sort of racing, whether it's NASCAR, you know, they always say to stay near the front. Like all, you won't get caught up in those big crashes. Just stay near the front. You don't have to lead. But if you're, if you're ahead of all the drama, guess what? Drama goes backwards, right? Like everybody behind you gets collected in, the, in that stuff. And the same is true for, for Supercross. If you can stay near the front, most of the time, riders up there know what they're doing. They, they're thinking big picture, and they want to make some money, so they're not going to do anything stupid most of the time. Big old asterisk there because we're going to talk about that later. But congrats to uh, Savachi. The only, you know, the only thing I would really say as far as like a, a negative was, man, he was really struggling in the whoops. And I don't know why. Maybe it was a setting thing. Um, but he's typically pretty good in the whoops. Like I don't think that's a, the, a normal – type thing for him. It'd be interesting to ask him like, what, what was it about these whoops that made it so tough? You know, maybe sometimes it just goes that way. And the way you have your bike set up, you just can't get it dialed in. And remember those races happen fast, right? So if you try something in that for in race one, you don't have time to make big changes for race two. You're stuck with it. So it could be something like that as well. Uh, he just looked like he was a little off there. You saw him resorting to jumping and he just didn't look as comfortable as the rest of the field may have. Even like Freezy, he didn't look as comfortable, I thought, as, as Vince did in the whoops in particular. But either way, he cashes the big check. 40K, good job to Savachi. Um, I'm sure that had to feel nice. And and that's a long flight home from Abu Dhabi. Uh, you're probably talking about 24 hours travel time. Um, so maybe, maybe a little less, maybe 20, 22. But uh, sure, it made that flight a lot better. And and hopefully those guys got to fly business. I don't know the terms of their deal. I did notice a lot of them were in business uh, seats like Dino and a lot of these guys, of course, Kenny, Kenny's rich, but a lot of these other guys, hopefully they got to fly business because man, that is a long way to go in economy. Um, but anyway, these guys all, at least at the front, made some money and it made it, made it worth their time. Dino got second and uh, update on Dino. He just won 
again in, uh, where were they? The hell were they this weekend? Newcastle, which is uh, right where near Chad Reed is from. If you didn't know that, it's not his hometown. His hometown is Curry Curry, but Newcastle was probably the biggest town, like big town nearby. Uh, so homecoming race for Chad. Dino wins um, in Australia, but he got second in Abu Dhabi, which is what this podcast is more concerning. And I think you can make a case that he could have, should have, would have won. Um, you could make the same argument for Roxon, but Roxon was he a victim of his own mistakes. But Dino, had he not been taken out by Freezy, I think was likely your winner in this. And yeah, it's a $10,000 loss. I don't know what his bonuses are like. Um, I know what his uh, fly racing bonuses are, the, and I don't. Know, but I don't know how that's squared with the team because we pay the team those bonuses. But it did cost him a decent chunk of change. But I'm sure he's happy to be in second. You know, he's sitting really nicely in the world championship chase. He's got a chance to make a lot more money. I'm sure he did really well financially winning Australia this past weekend. So he's adding to the uh, the war chest there. And that's good. These guys are. Uh, they're there to race. They're there to make money. And, and Dino's in the twilight years of his career. I'm not even 100% sure whether he's going to race um, in 2024. I know he has a contract too, but from what I hear, there's been talks about maybe, maybe not, um, how much can Honda help for 2024. So there's a lot of moving parts there. But in any case, I have a feeling that 2024 is Dino's last full-time year. And uh, so, yeah, make some money and make this thing worth it. And Dino's been through a lot health-wise. We've all seen how many injuries he's gone through. You could say that he's underperformed career-wise. I wouldn't say that, but I understand if you were if you were trying to criticize or finding a way to criticize, right? If you're like, okay, you're tasked with what did he do wrong? Well, you could say he was like the same as Barsha and Tomac, Tomac especially, uh, back in like 2011, 12, 13, and those guys – went on to win multiple races. Tomac went on to win multiple titles, second winningest supercross rider ever in the 450 class. So when you're comparing it to that, I get it. You know, uh, we all love Dino. If you, if you don't follow him on social media or YouTube, you should, I think it, it would make you a fan pretty quickly, but it is nice to see him having success late. Um, just so he, you know, when, when he does decide to step away, it's with, uh, Fond memories, and he's he's going to leave on his own terms, I hope, anyway. Ken Roxon, I believe, was the best rider at uh, at this race, and it's probably hard, I don't know, I think it's hard to argue that, right? Like, I think he was the fastest guy, I think he made the most passes. Um, where he really screwed himself was in the heat race. You know, they, they had that second row start. Had they had a first row start all the way across, the heat race wouldn't have mattered so much. You know, he's such a good starter and he's so good on the first lap. If you just give him an outside gate, no big deal. You know, I think he was like, what, 13th or something, gate pick. 13th pick in the main event is not a big deal. Uh, would he have hole shot it? I don't know. But he would have come out like fourth or fifth. I'm pretty confident in that. Not 10th. And that's, you know, like second row, you have no chance. Like you literally have no chance of anything reasonable. An outside gate, you certainly do. You get to jump, and you're right there with the leaders, and maybe they push you out a little bit, but that's that's okay for a guy like Kenny. But that's where all the drama really started because he had to battle from the back every single time, and he still almost got to the, to win, right? If he passes Freezy in that one race, maybe he still wins the overall, uh, but that's where it kind of went sideways was he hurt his foot, crashed, went way backwards. 
Uh, but importantly, you know, he's still championship points leader. Um, if he wins in Australia, he'll still win the overall. You know, I don't think anything's really gone too poorly here. Is he the points leader? I think he's a points leader. I, don't, I, I might be speaking out of turn there. I'm not looking at the points. But if he wins Australia, he'll still be the champion again, which is the most important thing. Now, the interesting thing to me, uh, you know, big picture, does it really matter? I don't know. But it does a little bit for somebody because – when you pay Roxon a ton of money to show up, right? He's he's likely ineligible for purse money. That's usually how these things go. I'm not saying I know that. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he negotiated a deal where he's like, no, no, you're gonna pay me and if I win, I'm getting paid for that too. I don't know. But a lot of times these promoters will say, Okay, we're gonna pay you X to be at these races, but you don't get any money. Like you're getting your 250, 300K, which is insane. Like, that's the highest numbers I've ever seen for these races. Um, but, like, let's take, like, a race like Bercy, right? Like, Stu got – I've heard different rumors, but I think all in it was around 200K, 150, 200, and he had to take his travel out of that, which was pretty expensive, right? He's flying a bunch of people business class to France. But that makes him ineligible for purse. Well, where it goes sideways is if the purse is really big, then – you don't win and they still have to pay out that first place purse money, uh, which is rough. Like I'll give another example, Jeremy McGrath in like 96, I think 95, they paid him. uh, It was 25 grand to win per night was the payout. Well, Jeremy got 75 grand guaranteed to go. This is rumor. I don't have, I didn't see the contract, but this is what I was told. He got paid 75 grand to go. Because they were assuming he would win each night. Remember how good he was then? Like, he was just dominating everything, right? Like, he was untouchable. Well, he had a pretty rough night or a pretty rough weekend. It didn't go to plan. And there was, I don't, I think maybe he won one out of the three nights. And they had to pay that $25,000 to someone else. I think Damon Huffman won one night or something. And I don't remember who won the other. But I just remember that being a story leaving that race. I was like, yeah, that was rough on the budget. They had counted on Jeremy winning. And they factored him winning that 25 in, which would then offset not having to pay someone else that 25 each night. And then he didn't, he wasn't able to to dominate the way they expected. So that could be the case with Kenny too, where they were expecting to pay Kenny 40 each time. And then they had to pay like Savachi 40 this weekend. And we'll, we'll see how Australia goes. But big picture championship wise, if Kenny does the job in Australia, he'll still be, uh, he'll still be the champ. So just something to watch for there. Uh, you know, I was, I was watching, as you're watching the race, guys that weren't really talked about a lot, but were relevant, were Greg Aranda and Cedric Suberos. And if you don't know much about either of them, like Greg Aranda has been around forever. They're both French and they're both really talented supercross riders. And I raced both of them quite a bit, which means they're getting pretty old now. And they were kind of like hanging around top five a lot of the night. And they're probably like, what in God's name is Freezy doing, right? Because he's just punning people off the track, cross-jumping, brake-checking. It's just a traffic jam behind them, which they're in the middle of. Uh, And Aranda had some big crashes on his own. But I was just thinking about they weren't really in the spotlight or didn't, you know, most people, if they didn't, they just caught the highlights, probably didn't know that those guys were going really fast. And they were probably just shaking their heads coming off the track, like, what is going on out there? Like, what is this guy doing? And, of course, I'm talking talking about Vince Freezy. And 
Man, listen, I, I have been a long critic of Vince Freezy. I've argued with a lot of people. Um, you know, Steve Mathis has, has tried to take Freezy's side at times and have his back and say he's mis, uh, misunderstood. And I'm just, I just am like, nope, he's not. I, don't, I disagree vehemently and en- endlessly disagree because I've seen too much. I've been around it too long. I've talked to him about it. I've tried to reason with him. I've just seen it for way too long, and it's a pattern of behavior that he has seemingly no interest in changing. And it doesn't matter who the rider is. You know, it started out as guys like myself and Weston Pike and, shoot, I don't know, Alex Ray. Like, it's been an escalating level of racer. And then you look at, like, him getting into it with Jason Anderson and – then it's just never ending. Like, and he's racing with much better riders, Christian Craig and Phoenix two years ago. It's the theme has remained the same. The, just the offended, the name of the offended is a constant change because he doesn't, he's going to do the same thing he's going to do. He doesn't matter who he does it to. He just does not care. And it doesn't matter. It's almost like his, his skill set of uh, just a, offenses are, are, building like the cross jumping i that's the first time i've seen him really get into the brake checking stuff that was that was a new one i haven't seen a lot of that um getting knocked off the track and then cutting the track to stay in front stay in the lead that was a new one for me i was like wow okay like you're you're learning here like you're really you're adapting you're finding finding new ways to get the job done um and, and i shouldn't be laughing because it's ridiculous on his part these these actions are absolutely inexcusable and ridiculous. And I'm not on a witch hunt with him. I don't really care anymore. It doesn't affect me. You know, it used to affect my income and it used to affect my career and really have, like it was dangerous at times. Like I, I really did care then. It really made me mad. And I was like always in a constant influx between wanting to fight him and wanting to just talk to him and try to like reason with him and rationalize to see if he understood how everybody else viewed his actions. And it's so funny to me to hear someone like Dean Wilson saying the same things that I have said to Vince, like no one likes you because of these things. You wonder why you're an outcast. Remember when Steve Mathis was doing the whole, no one likes him because he doesn't party in Temecula. Like there are t-shirts of it. Like I was arguing with Steve. I'm like that dude, that's not it. Like, no one cares about partying in Temecula. No one likes this dude because he races like an a-hole. And pardon my half language there, but that is the absolute truth. And I feel vindicated from that stance because more it, it's undeniable at this point. Like, everybody watching is going, yeah, okay, I, I kind of get it. And these riders, like Dean Wilson, I think the upper echelon of riders were kind of like shrugging their shoulders at these antics because it didn't affect them. They didn't really care. They were kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, it, you know, it's not a big deal. Now it is a big deal because he's screwing with the bet, you know, the upper end of the field and it, at the front of these races and it's on display for everybody to see. Now it becomes a little bit more legitimized. It's something that riders in the back of the pack, like myself, were screaming about for years and years and years and nobody really cared. It fell on deaf ears a lot of the time. Uh, but you know, AMA did penalize them at times. They suspended them from races. They fined them money. They've done all sorts of things. It's not like they just always turned a blind eye to it. 
but it just wasn't something that was constantly getting publicized because it was further back in the pack. And that's just the nature of these things. That's, that's normal. Um, but to see it at the very front and to see it getting all the spotlight now is, is interesting, interesting for me to, to kind of see. And, and from the outside and not being a, you know, a player in the dynamic anymore is it, I want to say it's fun. It's not fun because I can feel the frustration of guys like Sabachi and Dino and, and these guys. I have felt all those emotions before. I know the rage and the frustration and just the anger that those guys are feeling. And I thought Dean did a really good job of being very diplomatic and professional with it. Like, you know, after the race, he's like, yeah, you guys, fans like that. And deep inside, he is raging pissed. And you could see Savachi yelling at him from like 10 feet over. Like, those guys are really mad. You know, I, I thought Dino on his YouTube was a little bit more real with it, like telling him like nobody likes you because of the things you're doing. Like, it's not cool. It's not acceptable. You're shrugging it off and calling me a whiner. No, I, yeah, fine, whatever. Call me whatever you want, but you are riding like a complete jerk. And it's way, way, way out of bounds, the things you're doing. Um, and it and it has been for a long, long time. That's just how I see it. That's how I'm probably always going to see it. And the most telling thing for me was, you know, I, I really tried to have civil conversations with him. You know, we'd be in, like in Europe, we raced in Germany a lot together. And we'd be out after, and I didn't really drink, but we would be at restaurants or bars, just kind of something to do. And I'd be like, dude, like, can we talk about this? You know, we're both calm. There's no tempers. It's not emotionally charged right now. Like, what is the deal? Like, why are you doing these things? Because I don't think that you're going to have the success that you could otherwise have if you keep going about it this way, because no team's ever going to want to touch you because of these things. Like if, you know, teams want riders that are liked, not a constant point of anger and point, you know, people pointing fingers at that. That's not attractive to teams. And luckily for Vince, he's, you know, Mike Genova has been there for him. Otherwise, I don't think anybody would because of the connotation that he brings. That's, that's the sad thing that I was trying to get across to him. I was like, hey, you're getting really good. I could see the improvement happening and everybody can see it. He's gotten a lot better. His skill set has developed. It, it's incredible. Like he, he should be getting a lot of credit for that. That should be the story. It shouldn't be Freezy does this, does that, is penalized, takes this guy out. Everybody's calling him names. You know, blah. It, That shouldn't be the story. The story should be, look at how much better this guy's got. This journeyman privateer that no one really heralded coming out of the amateur ranks has now risen to be a top 10 guy. He was a top five 250 West guy. He deserves all of the, you know, everybody should be lauding him with compliments. And instead, everybody wants to take shots at him because I think they're warranted now. So it, that was the point I was trying to get across, you know, 12, 10, 11, 12 years ago. And it just fell on deaf ears. Like I could look in his eyes and see that it, it didn't, it wasn't landing at all. Like he, he didn't care. He didn't, agree with me. He didn't understand it. He was more like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And that was, and, and I've talked to his parents about it. Um, it was the same thing. Like they just don't see it. And I, and I kind of understand when you're, when it's your parents, they're always going to see the best and not see the worst. Like that's just a normal parent dynamic, I think. Um, so I, I kind of understand it, but whatever. In the end I gave up, like I was like, all right, I, I gave it a, I gave it a real try here. I gave it the college try. 
to share some insight for because I've been around this stuff so long and it was like the end of my career and I I just could see it the way people viewed him and and what that was going to be as far as a career limiter for him um and it's it's played out that way right I, it's just no one no one wants to touch that and I you know it's just yeah it's unfortunate in my opinion but at the same time there's no one to blame but him like he has absolutely brought all of these things on to himself so I don't feel sorry for him in any way at all. Anyway, I'll get off the uh, the freezy. Um, I don't know the right phrasing for it, but um, I, I, you know, I keep coming back to the term witch hunt. I'm not on a witch hunt. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It really affects my life zero percent anymore. At one point, it very much did, uh, but that long gone now. Now I just I get to write about it and talk about it and watch how it affects other people. Now the interesting part there is if you're you know Adam Bailey or the WSX team like. How do you, you penalize him, but then you're also talking about how entertaining it was and you're just dying for headlines and he's bringing those to you. So I, you know, how do they square that? I'm sure it's a little bit of mixed emotion there as well, but we'll see how Australia goes. I don't think you're going to see anything other than what you've already seen. I think he, he, you know, like, okay, sorry. I'm (laughs) all these things keep coming to mind. Remember last year in Australia, Freezy was offering people money to take Brayton out to keep him from winning the title. Like, are you kidding me? Like he offered, you know, and this is rumor, you know, like it's, it's speculation, but I trust people that I heard because it was firsthand knowledge of who was told Grant Harlan got offered two grand to, you know, mess with Brayton and block Brayton. Like get get out of here with that. That is so unethical. I mean, if that was ever caught on tape or recorded or like Harlan told my guy, dude, you can't, you can't have that. That is not acceptable behavior. That is, I don't, I don't know what rule particular would be breaking. Maybe it's, maybe it's not, but I would write a rule for that. If I ever heard that again, you're never racing. You're going to intentionally, you're going to pay someone off to, uh, yeah, no thanks on that. Like, no thanks. Like you would not be racing my series anymore. If I was, uh, if I was in charge, you're not going to, you're not going to ruin the integrity of everything we're trying to build here or you know if it was monster energy supercross you're not bringing that stuff to our series like no nope that is that is uh that's serious stuff right there that's taking in the taken in the worst sense you're going to pay someone to try to harm another rider whether it's results by results or physical injury yeah you can take that and stay home you won't be racing here that's that's how i would view it but those are the types of things where they they don't get a lot of play you know, imagine if that was like Tomac and Roxon, the things, those things going on, it would be all anybody talked about. Well, that's what's been going on with Freezy for years. It just doesn't get as much publicity because he's not one of those guys. Um, anyway, moving on, uh, we'll see how Australia goes, but I, I just think you're going to see more of the same. Maybe he ramps it up even more, um, trying to win that championship. Maybe he goes after Roxon. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, just just keep an eye on it because I've I've been dealing with it and watching it for a long time. So I just kind of shoulder shrug. It's, it's just the same things like all the shock. I like, you shouldn't be shocked. This, this is what he is. This is who, who he is, what he does and probably won't ever change. Uh, the 250 class was the last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, it really felt like Anstey was kind of on his own level. He won again in Australia and, you know, for McElrath, who was really the other championship contender here, it was the same thing as, as Roxon. He screwed himself in the heat. 
he got a second row gate pick and then you just can't overcome that. You know, if, if you're the same speed as someone and you are starting on the second row and they qualify like first, like, and they have the inside gate. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do anything about that. So Anstey won as he should, because he executed when he needed to. And, and Shane, Shane didn't, and he, he paid the price for it. So we'll see how the finale in Australia goes, but it feels like Anstey's on a roll here. He just won in Newcastle. And uh, I think they're off to Melbourne is uh, the next round. Um, so yeah, congrats to, uh, to Max Anstey and, uh, yeah, his, uh, well, he's on firepower Honda in America. It's, I don't even know Honda factory racing Australia down under it's, it's all under the same umbrella, but they have different team names, which is really strange. I'm, you know, fly racing is a big sponsor of that program and I still get confused by it. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't expect anybody else to fully get it either, but they're winning Dean and, and Max Anstey are both absolutely killing it. Brayton had a little bit of a rough go. He went two, two DNF. Uh, in Australia, but um, yeah, it's just miraculous that Brayton is this competitive at that age. I think he's 37 now. Um, so yeah, he's he's remarkable uh, to be that good at that age. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, I apologize for the lengthy freezy discussion, but it's been a long time coming. Um, I just don't even know. I don't know how people even put up with it. Um, I, I it's It's amazing. But anyway, thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, I'll, I promise the next podcast won't be so far removed. We'll definitely do an Australia WSX recap. And if you have questions, comments, requests, anything you want to hear more about, uh, please send those in. Please email me, jason36 at AOL.com. You can DM me at my Instagram, which is at jason66thomas. And uh, yeah, it helps me build some content. We did a lot of those in the last year in the off season, a lot of just question and answer stuff. So that we could definitely get into that a little bit again. Um, so yeah, give me your 2024 questions, 2023 review questions, whatever you want. I'm here for it. I haven't asked for questions in quite a while. Um, so let's, uh, let's do that. See you guys.